All right. Hey, good morning, guys. Great to be with you today as we, um, we're going to continue our water series. We're in the second section. We started off with four weeks of refreshing water. Now we're going to go into this part uh, all about rough water, which we all experience. And our guest speaker last week talked about that. We're going to continue uh, in the rough water section of the series today. I want to welcome all of our campuses from Robertsdale to Daphne, Midtown Mobile, Thomasville, and all of the folks joining us online, man. Great for all of us to be together today as we dive into the Word of God. Hey, why don't we pray together, and then we're going to dive into Matthew 14 together today. Lord, thank you so much for your Word as we prepare to partake of this gift that you've given us of your Word. I pray that you would speak to us by your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the way this is lined up is last week we heard and we were taught about a night on the water when Jesus calmed a storm. It's one of his great miracles. And we thought it'd be very interesting if we back-to-back weeks looked at Jesus doing incredible things on the water when the water got rough. So last week, we looked at Jesus calming a storm. This week, he's going to calm a different storm, and he's going to do it in a different way, in a unique way. And there's other things happening at the same time. We're going to look at them together this week. So go to Matthew 14, and you need to know what has just happened. So Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, meaning there's 15 to 20,000 total people that he fed with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. So they had fish sandwiches, right? And, and I know maybe the sandwich had not been invented. I think that happened in Germany a long time later. But I'm betting somebody on that hill was like, you know what would be good if I took this bread, slapped some fish on that? There you go, right? It'd be later that we'd come up with tartar sauce and other things that make it taste even better. Pretty sure there was a fish sandwich that happened that day though, right? And so Jesus has just done this big miracle and then the Bible says this, where we pick up, Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, just pause before we go to verse 23. Hey, and if you're new with us today, if you're one of our campuses uh, joining us online, if you are able, grab your notes and grab a pen, and I want you to circle some stuff that's important in what you just read. And we like to do that here. We just love the Bible. We love diving into the Word. And so if you'll circle the phrase, he made the disciples get into the boat, that's going to be important in just a moment. He made the disciples get into the boat, an important phrase. So verse 23 says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, the crowds that he had just fed, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, and it was beaten by the waves. Here we go again. They're in another, another storm, another mess, for the wind was against them. Now, let me tell you why this keeps happening. Because the body of water that we're talking about here is either called in the Bible the Lake Gennesaret, or it is called the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's alternately called both of these things. It was a body of water that sat low, and it, had, it was like a bowl around it of hills and mountains. And it was an arid region, so these winds would come across the deserts and all the surrounding land and hit those hills. And then when it crested the top of the hills, it would roll down. It would speed up, and it would come down these hills and hit that water from all these different directions. It was unpredictable, and a calm sea could become a cauldron of boiling water just like that. And we see it happening, it seems, to the disciples a lot. And so on this day, Jesus has just fed all these people, and the Bible says he made the disciples get into the boat. Now, why does he have to make them get into the boat? Probably because they knew they didn't need to get into the boat. 
because these are professional water guys. They didn't know everything, but one thing they knew by looking around and just all of the natural ways they had grown up, you just get these instincts, right? They knew this is going to be a bad night. And Jesus looks at them, and the Bible says he made them get into the boat and go. Why would Jesus do that? Have you ever wondered why Jesus told you to get into the boat that he has you in right now? Have you ever thought why he wanted you to go out into rough water? Why would Jesus intentionally send them out into rough water? Well, here's something I've learned in my own life, and I think he's teaching them. Refreshing water nourishes us, but rough water grows us. And Jesus is always growing us. And he is creating situations and allowing us to be in situations that grow us. Nourishing water is wonderful. We can't handle growing water all the time. You can't handle rough water all the time. I'm really glad we get both. But make no mistake, if you belong to Jesus, then he will intentionally allow you and even make you go into rough water so that he can teach you things. It becomes the classroom, if you will, that he is going to teach you through. And since he made them get into the boat and go, we can know this. Jesus was behind in and over that rough water. And it's true for us as well. He was behind it, meaning that he planned it. He knew what was coming. He goes up on the mountain to pray while they're out fighting for their lives. He knew it was going to be rough. The Bible seems to insinuate here that maybe they pushed back against getting into the boat. He had to make them get in the boat. Not only that, he was behind it. You You can say this is true of your rough water that you deal with, whatever yours looks like. He was in it. In other words, in a moment... If you know the story, he's going to come down off of that mountain and come to them out on the water. And I love the fact that we have a Savior who does not just watch us struggle. He gets in the water with us. And he ultimately did it when he came for us to rescue us. Ultimately, Jesus stepped out of heaven when the time was right. The Bible says we don't have a high priest who's far from us, who can't understand what we're going through. We have a high priest who actually came for us. He gets in the water with us. Not only that, though, he's going to prove to them he is over that rough water. And that's one of the big lessons that we all need to learn. That when we go through rough water, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is over the rough water. He has authority over our circumstances. All of these things you can't learn on calm water. You need rough water to learn this lesson. So, Jesus lovingly gives them a rough water lesson. And so look at what happens next. They are fighting for their lives. And Matthew 14, 25 says, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. There's no way to get around this. This is a supernatural miracle of the highest regard. I mean, it is unbelievable what Jesus is doing. Jesus is showing you that he can override natural law. Because you do know humans aren't supposed to be able to walk on water, right? That's physically a, a, a physical anomaly. You can't do that. But he did. And it's because he had power over his own creation. And he is demonstrating that. So we understand this is a supernatural miracle. And I just want everyone joining us at all campuses, you need to understand something about this church and what we believe. We believe in a supernatural God. We believe in supernatural activity. We believe that God supernaturally works in our lives. There is more than what meets the eye in this world. And see, there have been movements throughout church history to remove the supernatural elements of the Bible and go, hey, Jesus taught good things. These are good philosophies for us to live by, but we don't need all the hocus pocus stuff. 
And let me just tell you, if you remove the supernatural and the miraculous, you also are going to lose the resurrection of Jesus. You don't have Jesus anymore, right? So if Jesus came walking out of a grave three days after he was dead, then Jesus can also feed 20,000 people with a loaf of bread and a fish, and Jesus can also walk on water. That's what we believe. By the way, there's not a single true Christian in this room that became a Christian on your own. You didn't become a Christian by ascending mentally to some new idea. You became a Christian because the Holy Spirit supernaturally brought your dead spirit to life. That's supernatural. No less of a miracle. Every time someone becomes a believer, it's no less of a miracle than what Jesus did that night walking on the water. We believe in a supernatural God. But I also want you to see something else. Not only is he walking on the water, and it's miraculous, and we love this story, but it tells you what time he decided to do this. He makes them go out into rough water. He knows it's going to be rough. He goes up on a mountain to have a prayer time. And then the Bible says that it was the fourth watch of the night when he came to them. Do you know what that is? That means that he waited to the last moment to come out onto the water, which means Jesus let them fight that storm and that water all night long. And we're reminded of something here. It's a principle that we teach here at Three Circle, and we need to be reminded of it. We want microwaves, but God normally uses a crock pot. Let's talk about this for a second. Let me just remind you of this. You have never eaten anything great out of a microwave. Maybe good, but not great. I mean, none of you in this room have ever gone to a meat market and gotten some ribeyes or fillets and thought to yourself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw some salt and pepper, maybe some garlic on these, and then I'm going to nuke these bad boys. <laughs> I'm going to microwave them. No one in this room has ever said, hey, we're going to have some friends over, and we want to really do it nice for them. So what we're going to do is we're going to microwave our food tonight for our guests. Not, there's not a couple at Three Circle at any of our campuses. None of you have ever said, hey, our anniversary is coming up. Hey, babe, let's do some research and find a restaurant in our area that microwaves their food. Want it to be special. Now, you've never done that because you know nothing good comes out of a microwave, nothing great at least. But let me tell you something. You go, to, go into your pantry when you go home and put your crock pot on the counter and just start grabbing stuff. It doesn't matter what it is. Just start grabbing it. You don't have to know what it is. Got a can of Spam? Throw it in there. Couple of hot dogs? In it goes. Maybe you got some leftover chicken? Toss it in there. Old onion, got a little brown spot on it? Just cut that brown spot off. Throw the rest of it in there. Throw some salt and pepper in it. Put it on 15 hours. And later on that night, come in and just scoop it out and put it on a plate, and you're going to go, you know what? That's amazing. <laughs> Why? Right? You know it's true. Why? Because slow cooking is very powerful. It just makes it good, whatever it is, right? And, and here's the deal. We as people, we're the ones that invented microwaves because we want it fast. But let me tell you something. If you will trust God with his timing, his timing's not yours. Has anyone in this room or at any of our campuses, have you ever thought, God, I would like you to hurry up a little bit? Yeah? Have you ever questioned his timing? Of course we have. Don't you think the disciples for all of that night, that horrible night, don't you think they're all going, why would he make us come out here? We knew we didn't need to come out here. 
the fish sandwiches were good, but it'd be nice to not be in this boat right now. Have you ever wondered why in the world God would put you in the mess you're in? Have you ever thought that the mess you're in is the greatest classroom for God to teach you his greatest lessons? That's what's happening for these disciples. It's the fourth watch of the night when he comes. Second Peter, now remember who wrote Second Peter? Peter. Peter's about to have a starring role in the story. So Peter experienced all this. And as an old man, he was writing a letter to the churches, 2 Peter, and he says this. And I can only imagine that Peter was thinking about that long night on the water when Jesus didn't show up to the very last moment to rescue them. I bet he was thinking that when he warned his readers about this. He said, do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord Jesus... With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is his one day. In other words, Peter's looking at these young Christians that he's writing the letter to, and he said, let me tell you something about Jesus. He does not get in a hurry. <laughs> and when you want him to get in a hurry, he might just crank that thing down and slow it down a little more. Peter, do you from experience that Jesus just didn't get in a hurry? Peter was there that night. When Jesus come rolling out there right before the sun came up. Hey, you guys all right? <laughs> Peter was there the day that some of his friends came and said, Hey, your buddy, your friend Lazarus is about to die. And Jesus said, hmm, okay. Wait, aren't you going to do something? Yeah. It's like he just, he just ran by a different schedule. Then they come to him a few days later like, Hey, he's dead. Okay. Then he just took his time, stopping at every little gas station along the way. <laughs> just taking his time. You ever travel with people like that? They just stop the whole way? That's me. <laughs> Drives people crazy. Jesus just took his time. And then he gets there, and he's, he took so much time. Lazarus has been dead for four days. But, boy, it had a good story, didn't it? Because good stuff comes out of crop pots. Story wouldn't be as fun if Jesus would have shown up like he did for everybody else. Oh, let me go take care of that. Hills Lazarus. No, no. He let him get good and dead to show his power. See, sometimes he's trying to tell a better story than you want to hear. He's trying to tell a bigger story in your life. A few years ago when we went to Israel, I wanted to see all of Israel. He had a better story to tell. We didn't get to see all of Israel. We didn't get to see all the Holy Land. What I did get to see is God worked miracles to get us home that to this day I still stand on what I saw. Like I still, when I face rough water, I think, I've watched God do stuff that only he could do. But had he not allowed us to go through that rough water, I wouldn't have that story to tell. And I wouldn't trade anything for that story. And some of you in this room could walk one by one up on this stage and tell your rough water story. And though it was harrowing and hard, and though you wouldn't necessarily want to do it again, I bet you would say, you couldn't give me anything in the world that I would trade my experience in learning the faithfulness of Jesus. You wouldn't trade anything for that. So the disciples are learning a great lesson that they can trust him. So Peter says, look, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count as slowness. He is patient towards you. In other words, 
Jesus is willing to take his time and teach us deep lessons and show us important things. So he shows up. The fourth watch of the night, Matthew 14, 26 says this, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they, they were not happy. They were terrified. They didn't know it was Jesus. And they said, is this a ghost? And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, you need to understand the ancient world to understand why the disciples reacted this way. Even men who believed the Bible, the Old Testament is what they had. They, were, they, they believed in Jehovah God, but they had grown up around a whole bunch of superstition. The Romans were famously superstitious, but everyone in the ancient world was a little bit superstitious about water, about large bodies of water. They, they weren't sure. They didn't have the technology to know what was under there all the time. There were all these ideas. And one big idea was when water got rough, when water got rough, it meant something evil was happening. That this was a wicked, spiritual experience that was happening. So when the disciples are out there in the middle of this thing and they're trying to keep their minds straight, they, when they see someone walking on the water and talking to them, the first thing they think is not, this is awesome. They think, that's the devil. This is a ghost. Look, man, the, one of the first jobs I had in a church was at this little old church, and my job every Sunday evening, Sunday night, after everybody left, was to shut the lights off at the church and then go out the back of the church and lock the doors. And the only way to do that was to shut the lights off way up here, and it's pitch black now, and then walk in between this one row with all the pews next to it way down to the back. Now look, man, I was young guy, loved Jesus, loved God. I know he has power over all things. But I walked real fast <laughs> out of that church. Because something in me said, there is something that's going to grab you up under one of those pews. If something spooky's going to happen, it's going to happen in a dark church, man. Right? So the disciples are humans. So Jesus comes walking out on the water and they're like, this is not good. But Jesus says to them, it's me, don't be afraid. And I want you to notice a detail here. Because this is true. Because the Bible's always trying to tell you how he acts, who he is, how we should react to him. Don't miss this, you ready? Jesus tells them to stop being afraid before he has done anything with their circumstances. He is telling them, stop being afraid and the wind's still blowing, and the waves are still crashing, and the boat is still sinking, and he's given zero indication that he's going to touch any of that. But he looks at them and says, stop being afraid. I'm with you. I'm in the water. I'm here. There's no guarantee anything's about to change. He just says, I'm here. You have no reason to be afraid. I am here. See, Jesus' presence brings joy and confidence regardless of the circumstance. For the Christian... Peace should not come from the lack of a storm. It should come from the presence of Jesus. One of my professors pointed out to me and a group of people years ago in college. He said, you do know that the only time we see someone getting thrown into a fire and them not burning was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he said, rightfully, we celebrate that story, but everybody else that's ever been thrown into a fire got burned. like wow that's true because the beauty of the story is not always that the storm stops or the fire doesn't burn the beauty the confidence for the Christian 
is that no matter the circumstance, and no matter whether the circumstance changes or not, we are never alone. And that's our confidence today. We walk out of all these buildings at all of our campuses, or if you're on a computer screen and you hit stop on this video feed today, I want you to have this confidence. If you're a believer, you will never be alone. And Jesus is in the water with you, and he's over the water that you're going through, and he's designed the whole thing like a classroom, and you can trust him. He is with you. He is with you. So, we see this beautiful thing happening. Jesus says, do not be afraid. And then Peter starts talking like he normally does. Peter's that guy. You're in class with him, and before the teacher can even say, does anyone have any? Hands up. Yes, I do. I have a question. He's that person. He's that person at the end of a meeting when you think we've covered everything and you're about to leave and everyone's putting their notes up and someone goes, well, I would like to talk about the color of the ink and the printer, you know, something like that. And you're like, <laughs> and then everyone's looking at that person like, mm, right? I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> so this is Peter. Peter's always talking. It doesn't matter how big the moment is. This brother's going to find a way to get in the middle of it. And it happens all the time. Jesus, who do y'all think I am? Peter, you're the son of God. Next minute, Peter, you're Satan. Get thee behind me. I mean, it was constant up and down, right? At the Mount of Transfiguration, only three guys got to go. Peter, James, and John. Jesus shows his glory. Moses walks up. Elijah walks up. The power of God is so powerful that all of the disciples, these three, they're on the ground. And they're thinking, this is awesome. And then Peter starts talking. Don't you think James and John are going, even now he speaks? Even now. Don't you remember? Peter's like, y'all want me to build a tent or something like that? And Jesus just ignores him. Right? At the arrest of Jesus, Peter's the one like Braveheart, you know, pulling out the sword. I'm going to take his ear off. Jesus is like putting the ear back on. Okay. It's constant. So here he is again, and he says in verse 28, Peter answers, says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. I love Jesus. said, come. You want to come? Come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. It's unbelievable. So now what you see is Jesus can, can empower his people who will believe in him to do unbelievable things. Again, I will point out to all of you who are going to go home and try this today. It's only happened once. Okay. I wouldn't try it. I mean, you're welcome to. I just wouldn't. But this is faith. He is displaying unbelievable faith, as he will often do. Faith is believing Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do. That is what faith is. Don't let anyone else give you a different definition of faith. Faith is what the Bible tells you it is. Faith is based on a person. It's not some faith meter you have inside of yourself that if you're strong enough in faith and you can do this and do that. No, no, it's based on the person of Christ. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must do two things, must believe that he exists, that means who he is, and you must believe that he rewards those who seek him, which means he does what he says he'll do. He is who he says he is, and he does what he says he'll do. And Peter is demonstrating this kind of faith that Jesus obviously welcomes. Peter says, if this is really you, you can tell me to do anything and I can do it. And Jesus says, come. How awesome is that? I'm thankful for that. 
But I'm also thankful for the next word. Because I can relate here. Matthew 14, 30 says, but. There's always a caveat, isn't there, for us humans? Can't, we rela- can't you relate with Peter? How many of you are a roller coaster of victory, defeat? Victory, defeat. How many of you know what it feels like to be like Peter? Like We like to beat him up, but, but let's be honest. Don't we all have a little bit of him in us? Where one moment we are the hero, the next moment we are falling apart. We are ready to change the world. We are close to Jesus, and then we feel like we're a thousand miles away. So he experienced this incredible spiritual high. But then the Bible says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. We've all been there, haven't we? Some of you are there right now. How weak and fragile we are. Our hubris falls apart in the face often of our worst circumstances, doesn't it? Well, we're big and bad until we face something. But Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher and theologian, brought something out of this that I'd never noticed. I want to bring it to you today. He points out that the scriptures do not say that it was the wind and the waves that got Peter's attention, that sunk him. What was it? Just the wind. I'd never noticed that my whole life. There's been songs written about the winds and the waves. But he had been looking at the waves. Peter had been watching Jesus walk on the water, and he's thinking he has power over water, and if he tells me, I can too. I'd like to try that. That's what he's thinking. But Spurgeon points out, Peter had planned for the water, but he had never taken the wind into his calculation. So when he gets out of the boat, the the water, he had planned for that, but then a 100-mile-an-hour wind off those mountains hits him from the side, and that gets his eyes off of Jesus. Watch this. It was the unexpected thing. It was the thing that he didn't count on. It was the thing he did not see coming that begins to sink him. We are often sunk by that which we did not see coming. I thought everything was going to be good and then a pandemic hit. You thought the, the, uh, everything was going to be great in the business world. The economy was cooking, so you signed the papers and you started the business and you bought the thing and you bought that and you started this and you built that and then, whoa, everything changed. It's what you didn't see coming. You got married, you thought everything would be great. You didn't see that coming. You thought life was on a really good track. You went to a checkup and they found a spot that ended up changing the course of your life. You didn't know kids were gonna make these decisions and and really turn upside down your family. It's what you did not see coming. It's not the water that you got your eyes on that you go, man, we got this. It's the wind that hits you that you didn't count on. So Peter experiences the the unexpected, and it begins to sink him. And he cries out. A very complicated, deep, theological, complex prayer, right? Lord, save me. I love the simplicity. Sometimes that's all you got, right? Look, Jesus doesn't need you to impress you with with your prayers. I've told you guys before, I had an uncle who sounded like Larry the Cable Guy normally. But at Thanksgiving and Christmas, if you asked him to pray the prayer, suddenly he became the king of England. That brother would be standing out on the back porch talking about the cornfield and soybeans and how great the tractors were. Man, we got some good soybeans coming in this year. Then everybody come in and they say, hey, would you pray the prayer? Yeah, everybody bow your heads. Heavenly Father. All the kids would be like open our eyes, looking at each other like, 
how thou witherest. Like, he didn't even get the words right. But he felt like to go to God, he could not use South Mississippi. He had to go England all of a sudden on us. You don't have to impress God with that. Just say, save me. I need you. I need you now. That's the kind of prayer Peter prayed. And Jesus extended his grace to him. The Bible says Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. See, Jesus extends his grace to us when we're strong and when we are weak. Don't miss this. Last week, we saw Jesus calm a storm, unbelievable power and authority, and the Bible says the disciples were scared of him. Remember this? On this night, he does the same thing except with some added fireworks, walking on water and all that. But this time, they say, you're the son of God. See, if you read the other gospels, you'll understand that before this night, the disciples were still unsure about Jesus and who he was, really. They were still thinking that he was a great man that God had raised up. But on this night, they're going to come away understanding that he is God himself who has come down. What's the difference? Here's what I think. I think they had seen his power. He had just fed 20,000 people with bread and fish, right? But they saw his grace on this night. They watched their buddy and their leader, Peter, bravely walk out on the water and then get scared and sink. And they watched Jesus when Peter was strong, kindly say come, and then at his weakest point, rescue him. The same hand that said come was the same hand that grabbed him. When Peter was strong, come. When Peter was weak, I got you. And what I have found to be true for me, and I believe you will as well if you follow Jesus, is you will find that his grip on you is greater than your grip on him. And when I begin to let go, he won't let go of me. He's got me, and he has you, because he's more faithful than you will ever be to him. And when you're strong, he'll say, come. And when all you've got is, please rescue me, he will grab your hand. And I think the disciples saw that on that night, and they said, you're not just powerful. You're good. You're good in a way that we can never be. You are God. They never looked at him the same. They needed to be rescued. And that's what they got. See, the power and love of Jesus will lead us to fear him and worship him. That's what it'll do. It leads us to fear him and to worship him. And so here's what I would say today. What's the take home today? Many, many, many things. But the thing I want to throw out there to you is this. What unexpected thing that you didn't see coming is, is sinking you right now? What thing that you didn't plan for is shaking you to your core that today you need to bring to Jesus, that you need to trust him, that you need to trust that he is going to be good to you when you're weak and you're strong. His grip is strong. And that even if your circumstance doesn't change, you're going to find him to be faithful today. That's the confidence I want you to have. Bring the unexpected to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that your word would come alive in our hearts and that you'd help us trust you completely. And that even now, as people bring that unexpected thing to you and give it to you, I pray that you'd be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.